He says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. This was their release as disciples of John the Baptist. They began following Jesus at that very hour. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're looking at a portion of scripture that I titled, Come and See. I don't try to overthink these things. I just pulled the title right from verse 30, where Jesus said to them, Come and see. And we'll find that this becomes a testimony for one of the other disciples who shares that they have found the Messiah. And when he was questioned about whether they found the Messiah or not, he said, come and see. And so this is a method by which we are able to share our faith in Jesus Christ, a method that Jesus himself gave, as we'll see in the text itself. We find in John chapter 1, we had the introduction We looked at verses 1 through 18, the word, the life, and the light a couple of weeks ago. And there, John, going before the birth of Jesus, he doesn't deal with Jesus being born in Bethlehem and the whole Christmas story in that sense. He goes before the foundation of the world. He says, in the beginning was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he presented him as not only the word, but the light and the life of man. Last week, we looked at the testimony of John the Baptist in verses 19 through 34. We're going to get a little bit of John's testimony as we begin today in verse 35. But again, John, in his gospel, he doesn't deal with John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, although we know that John did baptize Jesus, and we probably have Uh, The day being mentioned here, when in verse 29, John said, our memory verse for this month, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward them and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We were doing the memory verse. I heard people say sins again. It's singular, so I'm just trying to help you out there. If you want to memorize it the way it's in the Bible, uh, not plural, singular, takes away the sin of the world. And he went on to testify, as we closed out last week, that he did not know the one who would be the Messiah, basically. But we pick up in verse 33. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with the water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on in verse 34, I've seen and testify that this is the Son of God. 
And so John's testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and we'll get some other titles of Jesus in today's teaching, that he's the King, that he's Rabbi, that he's the Messiah, and John gives testimony. We're following a course of days here, too. On the first day, John, in verse 19, was in the wilderness baptizing, and then in verse 29, it tells us on the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And we pick up in verse 35, and again the next day. So we have three days, consecutive days, being mentioned here in the text. So John's giving us not just a day in the life of Jesus, but as we pick up in verse 35, we've come to the third day. They're there at the Jordan River. And it tells us, and again the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus returned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. So Father, we just ask that you would bless the teaching of your word this morning as we look at this portion of the Gospel of John. John testifies at the close of his Gospel, Lord, that these things have been written that we might believe. So Father, I pray that we take the testimony of John given to us as he writes about John the Baptist and Peter and Andrew and the Apostle John and Nathaniel and Philip today. Father, how these men came and interacted with you and came to a saving knowledge of you as the Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, I pray that you would help us to have that same knowledge that we might come to that saving knowledge. Lord, that Jesus, you are not only Lord and teacher and master and king, Lord, you are our Savior. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we discover in verses 35 through 39, which I just read, two who followed Jesus, that in verses 35 through 37, John testified of Jesus to his disciples. It says the next day, as we already went over, as he was looking, he saw Jesus walk toward him. Now there's something significant that has been pointed out by some of the commentators. I think it is also significant as well. John stood with two of his disciples. So John is standing and looking. He saw Jesus as he walked. So Jesus is in motion. John is standing here now. And there seems to be this transition between the ministry of John the Baptist and that of Jesus Christ. Now John the Baptist is pointing his own followers to Jesus. He's not trying to Hoard in and tell Jesus, you got to get your own disciples. These two are mine. He says to his disciples, behold, the Lamb of God. This was their release as disciples of John the Baptist. They began following Jesus at that very hour. In John chapter 3, verse 30, John will say, he must increase and I must decrease. And so there was a point in John's ministry where he knew that it was important for Jesus to be lifted up and to be celebrated, even though it might cost him, John, ultimately it cost him his life, as we know. In the day and age that we live in today, 
it is so much about numbers in our world today. How many people, and I, I was with Calvary Chapel pastors yesterday. We were meeting the pastors from Illinois. Our wives were there as well and kind of sharing what's going on. It had been a year since we've seen many of these brothers and sisters and spent five or six hours together sharing uh, what had been going on, transpiring, and in our ministries and stuff. And one of the things about Calvary Chapel, is you notice that we have no boards up front. We don't do numbers. And that was a thing with Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. Our founding pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, it just didn't count. They had so many people they didn't couldn't count. It was just too many to comprehend at times. Just think about this. When we lived out there in California, the children's ministry, ages five and under, they had 900 kids a week coming through the children's ministry. So think about handling that, all those kids coming through, and that's just five and under. But it was interesting because as we shared, and so, so John, how many people do you have coming? It's like, I thought we weren't supposed to count. You know, we're, we're not supposed to count, but yeah, we do. And we live in a day and age where numbers are everything, and it's how many people attend your church or how many followers that you have on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter. But it's really about pointing others to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we do that effectively, sometimes we'll point people to Jesus and we won't reap the harvest, but they'll become followers of Jesus Christ anyway. Sometimes we'll point people to Jesus, they'll get saved and end up going to another state, another church, yet we are to do our role in ministry, that of pointing others to Jesus, the Lamb of God. So John's disciples begin to follow Jesus, two of them, and verses 38, 38, it tells us Jesus, seeing them following, asked, what do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? I'd love to see the expression of Jesus when we have these interactions with people, with his disciples, as here, when he said, and seeing them following him, what do you seek? They reminded me, again, when we lived out in California at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, attending that church for a couple of years, Pastor Chuck's assistant pastor was Pastor Romaine. And if you were a guy and you approached Pastor Romaine, he would say, what do you want? Real harsh tone. He didn't talk that way to the women, but he talked that way to the guys. He was a 20-year a Marine drills sergeant, and I think he carried that right into the ministry. Some had said that Pastor Chuck was grace and Romaine was the law. But I don't think that Jesus turned around with that harsh voice saying, what do you seek? I believe he was causing them to kind of draw upon their faith, to identify in themselves, what are you seeking? And their first identification with Jesus is that they called him teacher. And the reason this has this parentheses in verse 38, which is to say when translated, this is actually a Greek word here, didaskalos, which means rabbi or teacher. So he's just kind of drawing this out for us. And Nicodemus in chapter 3, he'll identify Jesus in the same way when it tells us in chapter 3, verse 2, when Nicodemus came to him by night, 
He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the things or the signs that you do unless God is with him. So they identified Jesus as a teacher. Nicodemus saying a teacher from God. There was something different about Jesus. And Jesus with his question, what do you seek? Well, it was drawing out the faith of these two men. Secondly, I wonder if they actually knew what to say, how to respond. They said, where are you staying? It's kind of one of those stumbling moments where you say something just to say something. But I think Jesus meets us where we're at. And he said, come and see. Thomas was a great example of Jesus meeting him right where he was at. Even after three years of following Jesus, after Jesus' death and his resurrection, but before Thomas got to see Jesus, the other disciples testified to Thomas, as we know in John chapter 20, that we have seen the Lord. He's risen. And he would say in John 20, verse 25, unless I see the hands and the prints of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And eight days later, Jesus met Thomas right where he was at. Thomas saw the Lord and said, my Lord, my God. It was for Thomas, seeing is believing. And I think Jesus meets us right where we were at. He meets us that he knows the very needs of our hearts as we see, but he draws out our faith. And so he tells them, verse 39, come and see. And when they came, they saw where he was staying. And I've been trying to envision, is it a campsite he took them to? Remember, they've been baptizing there by the Jordan River, the Bible tells us, in a deserted place. And we also know in Scripture that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he seemed to be a bit nomadic in his movements. So we're not sure where he was staying. He might have been staying with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It doesn't matter where he was at. They were with Jesus, and they saw and remained with him. If Roman time, which it most likely was, from 10 in the morning throughout the day. They came to see. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. They were willing to come. They were willing to seek. There's another thing that Jesus did when he asked what they wanted, and they said, where are you staying? Jesus didn't put them off until the next day. Well, meet me back here tomorrow and I'll, I'll let you know. He immediately put the challenge that very hour before them. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, in the acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And I want to just leave us with this question today. When Jesus calls are you willing to follow the Lamb of God? Now, I was saved many years ago when Jesus first called and I responded to the Lord. But there have been other callings that has nothing to do with my salvation, but a deepening in my walk and fellowship with the Lord. So I could say when Jesus calls, are you willing to follow the Lamb of God? And we, we might think, yes, you unsaved person, are you willing to follow but how about those of us who already know the Lord, and yet he's impressing a deeper calling upon our lives? Are we willing to follow? We find one of the disciples brought others to Jesus. We are introduced to Andrew here in verses 40 
through 42, in the context of the passage, says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So Andrew, we now get a name of one of the followers of John the Baptist, who was standing with him on the day that Jesus came. I believe after Jesus was baptized on the following day, John the Baptist, seeing Jesus coming toward them, said, Behold the Lamb of God. And I believe it was John the Apostle and Andrew who were disciples of John the Baptist. We know Andrew for sure. John never names himself in his gospel, so it's a strong possibility that this is John. But he hung out with Jesus, and he said, i got to find my brother. There was something that he saw in Jesus that wanted him to share that truth with others. And we find that he went and he sought out his brother. He is identified as the Messiah. Mashiach is the Hebrew word here. It's in the Greek, Messias in the Greek, but it's Mashiach, a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah or the Christ. We find it only twice in the New Testament, this Greek word Messias. It's here in our text where he says in verse 41, we have found the Messiah. And then it's the woman at the well who uses that same word. I know that the Messiah is coming. And again, John in parentheses tells us who is called the Christ. But he's, he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. And so Andrew goes to his brother. We have found the Messiah. We have found the anointed one. We have found the one whom the prophets and Moses spoke about. But we find in Scripture that Andrew, in the Gospel of John, he's always bringing people to Jesus. Here in our text, he brings his brother, Peter. It's so important to be a witness to our own families. But at the feeding of the 5,000, the boy who had the uh, five loaves and the two fish, it was Andrew who brought that boy to Jesus. When Jesus, that final week before the cross, he's in Jerusalem during that final week, and some Greeks wanted to see Jesus. It was Andrew along with Philip who brought them to see Jesus. So he was one who was always bringing others to Jesus, and like Andrew, we should do the same, always desiring to bring them to Jesus and to let them know it's, it's not a, a bait and switch. We found the Messiah. He's the Savior. So Simon Peter comes in verse 42. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, I love Peter in Scripture. He's always, when the apostles, the disciples are listed out, he's always listed first when the twelve are given to us in the Gospels. But he's also one who willingly followed Jesus, even though he often made great mistakes. And he would say things like, at one point they say, and Peter, not knowing what he should say, said, he didn't even know what he was supposed to say, but he went ahead and said anyways, there on the mountain of transfiguration. 
But he also was willing to step out in faith and stepping out of the boat there in the Sea of Galilee and, and having that doubt once he was walking on the water. He, he was sleeping when he should have been praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. And there at that same place, he was ready to battle a whole army of soldiers who came to arrest them. He tended to make some mistakes, but the Lord used him in a great and mighty way. I'm so glad that Jesus chose Peter because Peter's mishaps of faith gives me great hope because I've been guilty of saying things when I should have kept my mouth shut. Not knowing what to say, i got to say something. And so I speak on, and sometimes it gets me in trouble. Sometimes I step out in faith, and once I get out of the boat, I, I get nervous about what in the world am I up to? Simon had given his name by his parents, Simon, but Peter was the name that Jesus gave to him. It's a, a Cephas here in our text. It's an Aramaic word. It means the rock. In the Greek, it's Petra or Petros. But here he uses the word Cephas. Paul loved to use this name for Peter. He used it five times in, I think it's 1 Corinthians, but also in Galatians. He used, when talking about Peter, he called him Cephas. Talked about Rocky a lot. And I think Paul was kind of maybe getting a little digging on Peter because he wasn't always that solid rock that his name proclaimed him to be. Even Jesus when he asked, who do men say that I am? In Matthew 16, 18, Peter responded that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I also say to you that you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not prevail against him. I think the rock there is the testimony of Peter that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the son of the living God. He was one of the early church leaders. At times he slipped up. He said things that he shouldn't have. But he built his life upon the rock, the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. He speaks in 1 Peter 2.4 of all of us being as living stones. Coming to a living stone who indeed was rejected by men. That living stone, that foundation, Jesus Christ, but chosen by God and precious. And a question for us, I mean, Jesus, I don't know if he creates new names for all of us in heaven, and we'll get to hear those when we get there one day. I haven't received any information of any new name then, other than the one that my parents gave me. But the question is, are we building our lives upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, the foundation that Jesus has laid? Today, we've seen this message, come and see. We saw Two who followed Jesus in verses 35 through 39. And I asked the question, when Jesus calls, are you willing to follow the Lamb of God? In verses 40 through 42, we find one who brought others to Jesus. Speaking about Andrew, and he's always seen bringing others to Jesus. But we asked the question, have you founded your life upon the foundation which Christ has built? In verses 43 through 46, we find one who proclaimed Jesus, Philip, proclaiming to Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. And to this day, the works of Jesus testify that he is the Messiah. 
And finally, one who believed in Jesus, Nathaniel, he discovered that the bridge to heaven was not a ladder, not Jacob's ladder, but the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for your word and for what it has taught us today. I pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts, that we'd be willing to hear all that you would have for us. Lord, if you call, are we willing to follow? I pray that we are. Lord, that calling could be a calling of salvation, to come to know you as our Savior and Lord for the very first time. That calling could be one of rededication. Lord, that we've walked with you in times past, but we're not walking currently, and yet our hearts today, you're calling us home. It's time to come home. It could be a call, Lord, of a further ministry that you'd have for us, a desire you've placed on our hearts, and Lord, whether we will respond or not to that call, Lord, that is the question. We ask, Lord, that you'd work in our midst as we wait upon you. Lord, whatever work you desire to do in this place today, we pray, Lord, work. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. We'll be right back.